0: we are descendants of all those physical, biological genetics of that first couple. Then we need to also look at the spiritual genetics that God intended for those two to have and that he always intended for his creation to have, his man to have. But in this particular hour, we want to talk about the individual nature. We say, in a very distinct way, Adam and Eve. Now, he placed them together as a couple. And they were then the example of a man and, uh, would leave his father and mother, and they cleave together. They would repeat that process, that first process that God placed there. But Adam never became Eve. And Eve never became Adam. Sometimes in our marital relationship, we forget that individuality. As we talked about Friday night, that we need to remember what God said when he saw Adam by himself. God knew he was by himself. He wanted Adam to know he was by himself. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And we've taken that, and we have inserted another word. We've said it's not good for man to be single. What we mean, it's not good for man to be unmarried. What was it not good for Adam? Because you see, when you define single, it means unique, complete, whole. Was that not good? God said it was good. Certainly it was good. But he was the only one of his kind. And and being alone means isolated, solitary. That's not good. So it wasn't good for him to be isolated and solitary, but it was good for him to be single, unique, and whole. That's the part oftentimes we leave out when we prepare for marriage is working at us being single unique and whole. Sometimes, and this is not a male chauvinist, I I counsel all the time and so uh, I don't perform wedding ceremonies unless the couple agrees to have at least five counseling sessions with me and we go over some of these things. I have five individual lessons that are designed to see what an individual is supposed to be, what the spiritual genetic process should be, and, and what the husband's role is, and the wife's role, and, and then what kind of uh, home that they would, would produce. So I'd make sure that they understand all that, and they have to tell me what time of day they're going to study every day. Those lessons that I assign them, 15 minutes a day, same time every day, they can't say, well. You know, Monday we're going to do it at noon, and Tuesday maybe 7 o'clock. You can't have that. You're going to have to choose a time of day, the same time every day, that you can take 15 minutes, and you can read that material. And then you talk about what you read, because here's what the material is. It's what you and I are talking about this morning. It's assigned passages about God's design for our relationship together. So here's what I know. I know that they're listening to God every single day and I know what time of day because they told me here's what I know I know what God's saying to them every day because I've assigned the passages I know what God's saying to them I know they've heard him at least once because they have to read those passages or I don't see them and I know they're learning to communicate about what God said they're supposed to be as individuals and how they're supposed to live as a couple i know they know that and i know they're talking about that the same time every day because i've assigned it then they have to go to god in prayer during that 15 minutes and and ask god's blessings upon them putting those principles to work in their lives now here's i don't sneak up on them i tell them exactly what i'm telling you here's the plan If you'll do that every day, the same time every day, for 15 minutes, you'll develop a habit where you'll listen to God when issues come up in your life. You'll say, what did God say about it? Now, let's talk about what God said we ought to be doing. And now let's go to God in prayer to ask him to help us to do what he told us to do in the way he told us to do it. You've done that every day for at least five weeks, I asked for seven, but I won't take any less than five because I've got five lessons. (laughs) Well, you see the process and I want them to know that they need to grow as individuals. And here's a neat thing about it. A lot of people discover what I discovered. Denise and I have been married a while before I became a whole unique spiritual person. But the blessed thing is, God allows me to become that whole person. It wasn't that I couldn't have been earlier. I just didn't know how to be earlier. I didn't make personal application of those things earlier. And so that diminished the relationship that we gave life to because I wasn't what I needed to be. And I started to say, this is not a male chauvinist thing, but here's what I've learned in those counseling sessions. More often than not, the young lady will say something like this. Oh, I just... I just couldn't live without him. And I'll say, why do you you want to get married? Oh, I just couldn't live without him. And I know what what she's saying. I've just never really felt this way about anybody else before. And and I couldn't imagine, you know, going forward in life and and us not sharing that life together. And I know that's beautiful, and, and I don't try to rain on their parade or burst their balloon, but I just insert, well, you might have to. Some of you have experienced that, haven't you? You don't want to, but you might have to. What would you do? Was Adam able to live without Eve? Well, yes. Yes, he was. Could Eve have lived without Adam? Yes, she could have. But they would have been the only one of their kind and that wasn't good and that was solitary and they wouldn't be able to communicate or have any socialization or help or assistance. So that wouldn't be good but God wouldn't have made them so they couldn't have survived. So we start making application of spiritual things. We need to recognize that it may have to be just us and the Lord sometimes. Are you okay with that? Yes. You ought to be. And so I try to get them to come to grips with that because you know sometimes tragic things happen. And it would be awful for tragic things to happen. But you could survive. If you're that whole unique person that God wants you to be in your relationship with Him, you can survive. He designed you to do that. And I tell people this, and I don't say this to, to shame anybody. I, sh- I say this to remind myself. I love my wife, and I, I want her to go to heaven desperately. But if she chose not to, I want you to listen to me. If she chose not to, I still want to go. And if I get there and it's just me and the Lord, I'm okay with that. Sometimes we'll say, well, you know, if my mother and daddy's not there, I just, I just don't know if I want to be there. How insulting to the Lord. Isn't that? Well, there's somebody else a whole lot more important to you. And the Lord said, you know, if you come after me, you're going to have to love me more than mother and father and son and daughter and land and possession. I've gotta come first. Now I know how to be a son, and, and I know how to be a husband, and, and I know how to be a father, and I know how to be a, a brother to you because the Lord's told me how. But if you choose not to go to heaven, I will be really, really saddened for you. But I won't go anyway. And I don't anticipate getting there and being the only one in heaven, but I just want you to know that's my focus. And that's what I try to get young couples to do, say, you start with being this whole, unique, complete person in your relationship to the Lord. It was in that condition that he said, from now on, therefore, a person could leave his father and mother. He could cleave to his wife because he could function in that full capacity, just like God designed it. But if you start someplace else, just say, well, I've got to have Denise or I can't survive. What a burden to place on Denise. Because now she doesn't just have to take care of herself. She's thinking, well, Jerry can't make it without me. And there are conditions that arise in our life, particularly as we age, when we really couldn't survive without each other. I mean, that spouse has to take care of all of our physical needs because we can't take care of ourselves anymore. And and we've said, for better or for worse, and we're going to make that happen. But on this end of it, when we're getting married and we're this young couple and, you know, we've got our strength and our health and we're standing there before the preacher and we're looking each other's eyes and, you know, the, all these little uh, emojis are going floating around everywhere, you know, like, oh, this is wonderful. Love, 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 you know, love. It's it floating around everywhere. And the preacher says, repeat after me. And we start through that process. We're taking this person you know, we get to that part for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, until death do us part. And sickness and the death. Well, what's that all about? Now we are acknowledging with our lips that it may not always be like this. But I can tell you, I'll just be honest with you, I don't remember our vows. <laughs> Denise could tell you about it. All, the last thing I remember was standing in the preacher's office. And they're taking the photograph, you know, all these stage photographs, you know, and, and I'm just wanting to get this over with. And he's like, okay, she said, you oh, know, look at the preacher's watch. And so me and the best man are looking at his watch. And he said, it is uh, 10 minutes till I'm hanging. <laughs> That's what he said. You know, I guess just to keep us awake. I remember that vividly. I don't remember leaving his office. Uh, I don't remember seeing Denise walk down the aisle. I I don't remember him asking us those questions. They've got a recording. It's my voice. (laughs) I, I said it, and I'm not trying to get out of it. I fully intended to say all those things, but I don't remember it. I don't remember a moment of it. Because I'm just so nervous. But Even when we're not nervous, there's no comprehension really. Now, I think people are are honest. I think their intentions are, for better or for worse. But I sit across from couple after couple that really have to work hard at seeking counsel because they don't want to be together anymore. And I'm thinking, what happened? There's no emojis going off. Well, there may be some emojis, but that's that red face. You know, that's kind of the new emojis when they're they're sitting there. What happened? Well, I can tell you, I've never counseled with a couple that's having problems that one, whereas one of both of them didn't have really, really selfish motives. It's complicated thing. Now, all of a sudden, it's not, oh, I'm going to take care of you. You can count on me. My vows are, no matter what happens, I'm going to be there for you. You can count on me. It's like, you're not doing for me what I thought you would do for me. And I don't love you anymore. Well, that tells me why you're standing there and those emojis are going off that you really wasn't thinking about commitment. And so when God wants us to be these whole individuals, that means that we've got to stay focused on those matters. Do you know, when you read through passages like the Sermon on the Mount, it's kind of fascinating, and it's not the only passage we'll refer to, but, uh, and Jesus articulates how individual our decisions are. Even those beatitudes, how do you apply those individually? You know, blessed is a man. Well, what if he doesn't? That means you get to choose whether you're going to be that kind of person or not. Who was the Lord talking to when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you? Can you do that for me? No, you can seek the kingdom of God first, but you can't seek the kingdom of God first for me. I've got to make that individual decision. And every page you turn and, and every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord when he's encouraging us to live according to his spiritual standards, it's an individual application. It'd be real easy for me to look at Denise and, and and pick out flaws. A lot harder now than it used to be. Because I know who she is and I know what her commitment to the Lord is and But I could still pick out flaws in her life. But you know where that would come from? It would relate back to something that I wanted her to do for me, and she didn't do it, or didn't do it at the level I wanted it done, or didn't do it as often as I wanted her to do it. And that would be my projected image on her. I don't think she'd mind me sharing this with you, but uh, uh, we have a real distinct difference in our approach of when we get somewhere you know uh, i'd rather get there early and go over my sermon outline or you know might get in traffic so i want to make adjustments and and she's thinking why would we just get there early and sit in the parking lot that doesn't make any sense to me when i could be sitting at home on my couch you know that doesn't make any sense to me and that seems like a little small thing but that was a distinctly different approach to life for us you know what we spent a lot of our early years doing arguing about that we did. I'm like, you know what time we got to be there, don't you And I'm following her around and she's got kids she's trying to you know dress and get ready and I'm saying you know we should have laid all that out last night you know we, we need to be there you know, we're, we're, we're going to be late you know it's going to be late Now that's a real selfish approach to that. you know what I learned to do? Well, I could run those same little kids down and, and, you know, put the headlock on them and put their socks on and, and their shoes on, and guess what? And then she could get some of her makeup on or whatever she needs to do. She could do those other things, and, and hey, we might get there a little earlier. We'd never gotten there the, the time I wanted to get there, but we've gotten there earlier than she wanted to be there. And so that's kind of a compromise, isn't it? But as long as I was selfish saying, you know, why didn't you get that done last night? And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be late. You know I'm the preacher, don't you? They're, they're going to be, you know, we, if we're late enough times, the elders are going to be calling me in. You know how that's going to work, don't you? That's a selfish approach, isn't it? So I started polishing the boys' shoes Saturday night. They need to be done Saturday night. And saying, okay, what do they need to wear? And they'd whole lot rather their mother get them dressed than their daddy. They just, they just really would. You know, so now all of a sudden, I can do it, Dad. I can do it. And, hey, Dad, I got my clothes laid out. You know, those are the kind of things that you learn together to say, don't be selfish. It's okay to say, you know, I'd really rather not be late. And so can we work together to get that done? Now, that's not selfish, is it? That's saying, you know, I have a preference, and I'm willing to work with you so that that we can both feel like we're working together, and we have this little—I uh, don't know—it's a game. It's just a, an acknowledgement, not really a game, because we have to do the work. But we share almost every chore there is to share. We just do, and we like doing it because we're we're together and we get to talk about it. And and you know, I, I've come in from work, and and I'll be in there washing dishes while she's cooking. She's a great cook, and so. Um, I get to sop the bowls that way. You know, I'm just really close. Everything kind of works out when we're working together. And when we get it done, you know, maybe we're going to have company, and, and she doesn't yeah. want dishes all in the sink. And so uh, I'm washing the dishes, get them all put up, and everything. The pie's got not only the meringue on it, but it's just the right texture of brown with the little, the brownest part's a little twirl on the top. That's the way she likes it. You know, it's like perfect. And so if that's pulled off, you know, we, we do a high-five thing. Yay, team. See, that's a whole lot more fun than, why didn't you get that done last night? A lot more fun for her. Now, I'm sure she was thinking, well, you jerk. These children have both of our genes. They're yours as much as mine. Why don't you go get them ready? Now, she never said that. And in the early years, it, it probably wouldn't have been good for her to say that. But she can say that now without saying a word. If she just has this little wave, she's putting her her necklace on to say. I think, oh, okay, I can handle that. Never verbalize a word. We see those individual unique qualities we have can be our strengths or they can be our weaknesses. And I married, wanted to marry, did everything I could to get her attention so I could marry her because she's Denise. Now why would I want her to be someone else now? When I was dating, she wasn't early. Okay? But that was okay then because, well, you know, as long as she gets here, as long as we get to go somewhere together, but now we're married, it's through aggravation. Why is that? Well, now my selfish motives come out. So I've never really counseled a couple that if they're having problems that either one or both of them wasn't focused on selfish matters. So we have to kind of say, all right, what are we dealing with here? Now, how would God want you to handle that? And there's just something that kind of defuses it. Sometimes the wife will say things like, he doesn't deserve it. Well, I don't say, no, he doesn't. But I don't say, well, he does. I just kind of let that sink in for everybody. Then I'll say, well, if he doesn't deserve it, does the Lord deserve it? So if you can't do this for him, can you do it for the Lord? And she'll look at him and say, well, I can do it for the Lord, but I won't do it for him. (laughs) Okay. I can handle that. See, that doesn't allow him to be selfish and say, boy, that counselor uh, put her in her place and you know, this man, you know, we, we've got to stick together. And so he told her, you know, she needs to get her act together and do what I tell her to do. No, I didn't say that at all. Now of a sudden, her individuality gets to be, come forth and say, I love my Lord. And I can even put up with you for the Lord. Without even saying that. To say, my disposition and my behavior is going to be dictated by the Lord. You just get to be the beneficiary of it. Isn't that really true? He doesn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But if we individually say, I'm going to make those choices. Now listen to how important that is. This has my attention. When you get toward the last of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you ready for it? But he that doeth the will of my Father who art in heaven. How do you do that? Well, this is a strong congregation, you know. We've got, we got good elders, so all of our tickets are punched. No. It's very individual. The only ones who are going to go to heaven are the ones who have done the Lord's will. So if my relationship with Denise is based on selfish motive and not me carrying out the role that he's commissioned me to carry out as a husband, then I'm going to get there on that day and say, Lord, you know, uh, I provided really well for them. I, you know, I, I paid the bills and I bought groceries and, you know, they just didn't give me a lot of respect. And I, I get there, what do you think he's going to say? Lord, you just don't understand, you know, I, all the sacrifices that I made and, and they just didn't respond to their very way. Well. You think he doesn't understand that? When he had to watch his son hang there on the cross and the people he sent him to save put him there. It wasn't just good enough for him to be crucified, but they stand there and say, hey, if you be the son of God, come down from the cross. And he couldn't come down and then be saved. So when you look at it from the human side, you know, they're chastising him. He's not the Son of God. He didn't come down. No, he didn't come down because he is the Son of God. And he came to do the Father's will. So you think he doesn't understand? You think there's anything I can say on judgment day to say, well, you just don't understand. I I, I was unkind to my wife, and boy, I didn't, you know, I just, I didn't take care of my children because, you know, they, they just really didn't respect me. Or to say, look, I'm going to do my father's will. Whether anybody appreciates that or not, he will. We'll do the father's will. That would change every relationship we had. If we understood our individual responsibility. Now, to be fair, that first couple struggled with that. As soon as that first selfish thought, came into their mind, everything changed in their relationship to the Lord. When that one word was inserted there, and Satan said, Thou shalt not surely die. And that little doubt emoji came up. Hmm. I thought, I thought my Heavenly Father was protecting me, but he just didn't want me to be as wise as he is. withheld a certain fruit from me because that fruit would make me as wise as he is. Sounds selfish to you? What happens when we get selfish? We try to project things on other people and and now all of a sudden when God comes to commune with them and fellowship with them in the cool of the evening, they aren't present. They're hiding somewhere because now being naked is not, not a a comfortable thing to them. Now they tried to cover up their nakedness and hide from God. When God said, Where are you, Adam? Did God know where Adam was? You see, Adam just didn't know where he was. Well he knew he's hiding in the trees. But he didn't know where he was in his relationship with God. But so when God came in the same matter, to have the same relationship, they weren't present. Then he said, who told you you were naked? Naked's never been an issue before. I don't know how long they've existed before before the sin occurred, but there'd been a relationship. There'd been time passed. Remember the first thing Adam did? That woman you gave me. her fault. Was it? Well, he'd like for it to be his fault, so we, you know, you have to watch those women. Uh, I even tease Denise sometimes, you know, if we're if we're trying to uh, be on a diet, you know, and we're we're trying to uh, leave off certain foods, and she has one of those days where says, I'm gonna make Jerry's favorite pie, you know. And I've really been working hard, you know, and now I can button my coat, and I'm, I get home, and there's that coconut pie with that meringue that's just the right texture brown with a little dark brown on top. And I'll say, Eve? (laughs) (laughs) Really? And when I'm eating that first piece, she'll say, Adam? (laughs) 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 But anyway, the, the context is they forgot their individual relationship with God. That's the bottom truth. He didn't say, you're right. Because he didn't have to eat it when he offered it to him. He didn't have to eat that. He could have said, Eve, what have you done? You can't do that. And, and I believe that's why Satan tempted Eve by herself. I'm not sure, but what the same results would have happened had he tempted Adam by himself you see, when they were together, Denise and I do a whole lot better together than we do apart. If he tempted them together, they probably looked at each other and said, we can't do that. But you separate them. Now all of a sudden, the conversation is just between the two of you, and there's no reminders. Do you think that may be why the Lord put us together in the body of Christ? That we're fitly joined together by that whichever joint supplies. And those joints that supply is the individual responsibility and quality that each of us have. Put together is the strength that we can gain from each other. And there have been times when you have had to remind me as a body of Christ of things that I need to do. And if I'm the kind of minister I ought to be, there, there's an effort for me to remind us of what we ought to do. But the only way that can be accomplished is individually. And so we like to look at Adam and Eve and say, boy, they just really blew it. But we can have that same, whole, unique relationship with God that they had in the beginning. Do you know the Bible is silent about that tree of life from the first book to the last? But in the last chapter, of the last book we're told about that tree of life again guess where it is in the presence of God guess who can have it all of us if we'll be obedient to him if you look at chapter 22 and verse 7 repeated in in verse 14 highlighted again in verse Uh, uh, verse 12 and highlighted again in verse 14 is those who obey his word. They were, they lost the garden because of disobedience. We can retrieve the garden. I used to say when my mother read that story, boy if I had been there. I wouldn't have left that orchard. You wouldn't have got me to do that and it's almost before the Bible closes he says prove it. Prove it. Be obedient to me. You'll have that tree of life. The trees are run alongside that river and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the people. And by the way, Jerry, there's no sickness. There's no death. There's no nightmare. Now I get to choose. If I'm that whole, unique individual, first of all, in my relationship to God, then I'm going to be the husband I need to be. I'm going to be the father I need to be, and I'm going to be the brother in Christ I need to be. But if I don't get that part right, now you know the secret. Why I don't perform those wedding ceremonies for those young couples until they spend those five weeks listening to what God said. Of how to be that whole unique individual. We'll talk in the next hour about when you put those two together, those two individuals that are whole in their relationship to the Lord, who are now have the capacity to physically survive on their own and spiritually survive on their own, what a strong relationship that they can give birth to. You diminish that in any way, You're not going to have everything God intended for you to have in that relationship. You're just not. Now, you may be married 50 years, but you're never going to have what God intended for you to have unless you do what God told you to do. Now, you knew that already. But doesn't it help for us to be reminded every now and then? And when we talk next hour about giving life to this relationship, keep those individual qualities in mind. If you are that person in your relationship with the Lord and you say those vows, you mean it, you understand it. You see sometimes when tragic things happen in marriages and one of those in that marriage just don't want it to work anymore, it dies. Here's what I have to tell the person who's remaining. When they repeat those words, I just don't know if I can live without them. I say, you have to. You're married to the Lord. And you need to be conscious if you think you cannot survive without this person. You've just told the Lord, I don't need you. I don't want you. Now, that, that's talking to a person who feels this deep, dark void in their life because something precious that they've committed to just died. But it refocuses them on saying, will you do it for the Lord? Because if that marriage is strong, you can survive. Here's the truth of the matter, and then the lesson yours. I wouldn't want to, but I could survive without Denise. And the comforting thing to me is she wouldn't want to, I hope, but she can survive without me. That brings me comfort, to know that she loves the Lord enough. I would hope she won't be sad for a few days. But I rejoice to know that that void would be filled with her relationship with the Lord, bringing her great joy and happiness. That's what we are to strive for. That's what Adam and Eve lost in the garden when they didn't feel comfortable in his presence anymore. And so let's be those whole, unique, complete individuals. Make our decision individually and strengthen that so we can together, Have a strong, healthy, vibrant relationship that gives us all the blessings God intended for us to have. Thank you for your attentive nature.